Welcome back to another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. I'm your host as usual, Seth Macy, and this is actually episode number 50, two more away from an entire year's worth of episodes, which is really cool. I said I'd do the show for a year and see what happens, so I think I'm going to keep doing it. So for all you guys who like the show, uh, I think it's going to stick around, which is awesome. And for the one-year anniversary, we're going to do something really interesting. My good friend, who I'm sure a lot of you listeners know, he's been on the show twice, at Mantis underscore photography on Instagram, is going to be taking over the show and interviewing me. I know he has a lot of absurd and ridiculous things planned, so it should be pretty funny, but also pretty insightful. So hopefully you guys will look forward to that. I don't know what to make of it, but I guess we'll see. Uh, but today's episode, I'm joined by another fellow Ontarian who actually frequents Algonquin Park, actually works there. I spent a lot of my time shooting wildlife there and just spending time in the park. It's a beautiful place. We have a great chat about transparency in wildlife and nature photography, and I really hope you folks enjoy this one. But they're really not telling the story behind the lens, right? You're only seeing what was in front of them in that moment of time, and you don't know how planned that shot was right? You don't know how much choreography went into that post for the gram. And I think that's the sad part about a lot of nature and wildlife photography is that you can have so many, so many photographers with integrity and so many without integrity and you can't tell who's who. And that's really dangerous for the majority of viewers online who don't understand what goes into an animal shot and who don't understand what leave no trace means or who don't understand, you know, those basic principles. And then from there, if they get inspired by that and find out, figure out that they want to do the same thing, they start doing it in very um, dangerous ways. You know, like we mentioned off the record before we started recording, shooting from highways, getting out of your car, standing on the road, flushing out animals, things like that are very dangerous. And people don't know any better, right? Because they think, oh, this is like, this must be how you do this, right? Yeah. And I mean, the the downside of this is, is with this current culture of look at me and what I'm doing, you didn't really get a, a behind the scenes look until like reels came along, right? And, uh, you know, you did your podcast about utilizing reels to your benefit. And you can see the people who aren't doing that a lot of the time are like, well, I don't want people to see how I'm setting up shots. And right. they, they're like, well, maybe you're standing somewhere you shouldn't or you're, you're shooting in a way that's distressing or you know, not appropriate. Not to say that everyone's doing that, but I mean, transparency is a really, really tough topic in, in wildlife and nature photography. Right. And I'm glad to see it being more prevalent. It feels like with every social media advancement, transparency is becoming more and more inevitable, if that makes sense. It's being, it's becoming, everybody has a phone in their pocket, right? And at any moment they can pull it out and film you doing something you're not supposed to be doing. And I think in years past before, you know, the ages of social media, I bet you people got away with a lot worse um, practices, in terms of especially wildlife photography, feeding animals, baiting, and things like that. I think now it's very easy. I don't totally agree with cancel culture. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. agree that you know everybody's reputation should be wiped off the face of the earth with one mistake. I think you have to give people the opportunity to learn 
from the fault they have made and to understand because a lot of people don't know that they've done anything wrong right especially if maybe you're talking about old school wildlife photographers you got to give them the chance to come back right so but i do believe that transparency plays a big role in i guess modern vigilance in nature and landscape and wildlife photography well i mean faults also subjective right i mean there's a clear-cut line that doing X, Y, or Z is not appropriate. I mean, everyone knows or should know or has an inkling that like feeding wild animals is wrong, both for the animal and for the person doing it. I mean, it's not worth that shot. But the same way of like, you know, people spooking animals, not great, (laughs) but it's subjective as to where to draw the line of what, you know, what should this person be canceled or called out for? Because, I mean, I can right. tell you now some places, say in Ontario or uh, wherever people are shooting wildlife, common practices that might be frowned upon are the norm or the standard throughout the states or throughout the West. And it's just a yeah. You want to say like you don't want to say there's local local standards or local ways of doing things because you should say wrong is wrong is wrong. But that wrong is all subjective, so it's hard to really pinpoint things like that. But I, like you said, there's more transparency with every iteration of these social media uh, platforms, and the next best thing coming out allows people to to show more in depth of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, in some places, like even Finland, I've I've talk to or heard of people talking not to put finland on blast but even it just goes to show the difference in culture norms or in uh, industry norms a lot of the wolverine shots that you see from there they're all baited with carcasses right and just i don't think people understand that i think it's important and like you said i it, it's where do you draw the line right fault is subjective and and what's okay and what's not is not clearly defined so when you have a group of people who all have the spectrum, it's very difficult to institute any sort of definite ethics. So I think the best you can do is really to, if, in my opinion, if you're questioning what you're doing, it's probably has a hint of wrongness yeah. to it. Oh, you for know? sure. But I mean, that's, that should be universal in mostly every aspect of your life. <laughs> Most people, absolutely. If you, if you think you shouldn't be doing something, chances are you shouldn't. Um, right. Just to actually step back one sec, when you were saying this, the Scandinavian countries, like the more rabbit holes you go down, YouTube, for example, uh, recently I was watching two different people who I've watched for a while. And the guy goes, you know, without naming names, goes, yeah, I won this contest. First prize was a, a setup in a blind where they bury a pig for wolves and bears to come out to. And like, <laughs> this is a professional who won like a national European contest. And first prize was like four days at this blind where they bury a carcass and then you wait. And I mean, that would be unheard of in North America. Well, yeah, as far as like a standard practice, I'm sure there's a couple of uh, dark alleys or back roads that you could probably set something up, but uh, that's not like an advertised surface here. And it just blew my mind that that was a possibility. 
So then I think what's important and, you know, I have this written down in front of us and, and something I've been meaning to ask you as a, as someone I would consider an ethical wildlife photographer, um, what do you think are musts in, in a post online in the day and age of tagging responsibly, right? Cause we don't want to give away locations a lot of the time we want to tag responsibly. We want to leave no trace, but at the same time, I think there are definitely some requirements. For example, if you're in a, you know, you're in Park Omega where a deer walk right up to your car, I think people should know that that's not you out in the bush in Algonquin or in Jasper. So I'm curious to hear what you think is a, is a must in a post and where maybe that should be outlined. Caption, you know, just your thoughts on that um you know i i know people people try and bury it right they go well i do my due diligence and put it in the caption but it's like yeah but after like how much writing um really it comes down to to each their own and what they're they're trying to do with their page or their photography and i mean i've i've been to park omega and my posts from when i was there were like this is awesome. I'm testing out, uh, you know, new methods of shooting or techniques or things I'm trying to learn. Like I don't have right. a background in this. And I mean, I have, uh, I have some images of some, some Buffalo. And I mean, I was very pretty clear about it. I was like, I was out looking for snowy owls, Buffalo herd on a farm. You know what? What a great chance to, to practice technique and, you know, try some high key, try this. But I mean, personally, I'm not hiding anything, but I'm also not looking to, to gain from it. People, a lot of people, I don't know what they're afraid of, right? They seem to be like, oh, if, if someone thinks less of me because I went here and shot. But I mean, what you've already touched on is it's the audience. That audience is going, wow, there's a, there's a persona being portrayed here of people like they're everywhere and they're capturing these amazing images. And maybe I can too. And what, what position does that put people in? You know, you see elk uh, at like Park Omega and people are like, wow, I want to see elk. How defeated are they when they're not going to find them? Ontario has like 600 elk <laughs> total. Like, Oh, believe me, I know. I don't know how far you got into the podcast, but there's a section in there where I'm driving an hour each direction every day to, to maybe find one of 600. To Bolter. <laughs> To, yeah, to and, a place called Lamab. Okay. If you know where Lamab is, I don't. South of Bancroft. Okay, because uh, Bolter, which is uh, east of Bancroft, was the the relocation let loose point uh, in the nineties. Yes. Yeah, so I I mean I've been down those roads too. Uh, there are few and far between, but it, there's other people. It drives. I think the responsibility and the ethics part of it is not just tagging that you know this was a essentially a game farm or a zoo but i mean there's a the other responsibility i think the problem with saying ethics people think like oh i tagged responsibly or i didn't do bad by this animal but i mean there's a whole other side of it in, in my opinion and i mean covid over the past year has has shown that um working in algonquin park you know we're in lockdown everyone's in lockdown you know nine months ago but if someone sees a great gray owl, there's people up here instantly. To me, that's not really ethical. Like you're supposed to be doing one thing 
but you're willing to drive three hours each way, get gas to try and find an animal that's transient. I mean, that to me is is like, what are you, what are you doing? But people are like, well, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not doing anything. It's just uh, like you said, if you're thinking about it, should I be doing this? If you have to think about it, probably not. But I, I mean, well, here's here's the X factor. The, so the thing, and you you said it earlier is, if you're having to ask the question, should I be doing this? You probably shouldn't be. That should be a, a foundational rule, a fundamental rule for your life. And I think what changes here is when you add the internet and you add people's urge and oftentimes out of control need to feel significant about, you know, it's like, why do people buy $150,000 cars? It's just a screaming, it's a screaming sign of insecurity. It says trying to impress people who don't care or who don't even know you. I think that's really the problem is that when you add the internet and you add a space where people can share this rare animal or this very rare experience, they will do anything. It's so similar to honestly, honestly junkies, you know, will do anything to get more and to, to just, I I see a lot of people who are traveling places not to travel and visit, but are traveling to get content, right? Like that's so backwards to me. Traveling to Jasper or the Tetons, you know, the photos are a byproduct of a lifelong, excuse me, lifelong experience where you see so many people, like for example, your owl photo. It's like, why are you doing this? Right. What are you really doing this for? Right. You know, for clout on Instagram that you're not probably going to care about in 10 years. Well, are you um, are you familiar with? I mean, you've talked about other biases before uh, in the show and different psychological aspects. But I mean, are you familiar with the uh, two off the top of my head is outcome bias and the halo effect? No, elaborate for everyone listening so and myself. Outcome bias is where you're so focused on the outcome of a product or producing, or in this case, creating that you overlook the process of what you have to do to get that. Mm. And I mean, a great example in Ontario was uh, the Northern Hawk Owl of, what, 2019. Uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of people a day going to this thing. And I mean, for what purpose? You, you have the same 100 people to 200 people taking the same photos of the same owl. And I mean, what... What uh, what outcome are you going to get that's that's worth stressing that out? I mean, you're and even like you said, you're not going to get the Instagram clout because a hundred other people are posting the same animal because it was such a rarity. And you know, the process of getting that shot is not rewarding. And like you said, you're not going to care about it later on. But that outcome of getting that just overshadows all of that. And then wow you know, looking at the halo effect, which is, which is seen as you get that, that amazing shot or, or who you follow. Someone has that amazing shot and you know what? They set it up. Maybe it was at Park Omega. Maybe it wasn't, but that shot, why you follow them, why you think they're amazing photographer over overshadows everything else they do. So, you know, they're, I mean, 
who am I to say this shot's amazing or this shot isn't as up to par with, you know, an even keel for how any one person shoots. But I mean, some people, Mm -hmm. like you said, get that clout because of one image that is the best image they're ever going to take. But they've never added up to that image. So they have this halo shining over this image where people are like, they're going to have an image like that again, and I'm going to be here to congratulate them. I mean, there's so much... It feeds into this this toxic positivity, uh, which you don't hear talked about as much. And I mean, right? No one, no, not no one. I mean, not in public forum. Maybe behind closed doors, not many people are being like that shot. Not really up to snuff with your other shots. Everyone's like, that's unreal, yeah. and you're like, nope, it's not. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it, I, I'm I might be my my own harshest critic as everyone is. And, uh, you know, you've talked about imposter syndrome before, but I mean, mm-hmm. it imposter is to what, I mean, the mass majority of us are not professionals or even having any monetary gain. We're doing it as hobbies for fun, for re- relaxation. So why, why are all these factors coming into play of like keeping up with the Joneses for the sake of, for what? looking down the line right. and being like, wow, that one time me and 600 people, I didn't know we got a picture of an owl together. Right. So, and it goes back to, this is so funny because I recorded. So last week's episode, which is technically in the future because I recorded it last night, touches on all of this stuff, right? Oh, wow. Especially, especially the, um, the idea of, you know, if you take this amazing photo, you've now, set the bar to a place, maybe you've gained a lot of followers or whatever, you've blown up, air quotes, um, that now everything you produce, even if it's subpar, again, art is subjective, but let's say it's generally, it's it's subpar work. You have a cheerleading squad now that is going, sweet bro, or like, that is so amazing, when it, when it really could not be. Um, you know, one example is, uh, well, first off, you, you know, you could use, let's say, you know, Taylor Swift, sorry, Taylor Swift fans, but let's say she comes out with just, you know, a brutal, mediocre track. Yeah. It's going to go number one on the charts. Right. You know what I mean? And it becomes very tough to distinguish between, you know, real good work and real art and someone who has a real respect for their subject and just somebody who you know, it's just, is, is out there for, to fuel their own need to feel significant. And I invite people listening to really question, I guess, what they're looking at and to dig deeper beyond just the image. Like, who is this person? What are their values? You know, would I, would I enjoy hanging out with them for a day from what I've gathered from their stories, from their captions, from the stories they tell, like what is their intent with what they're doing? I think when you ask yourself questions like that, you start to notice, even if you just plant it in your mind as you're scrolling with your thumb, you start to notice who's full of shit and who's not. Well, I think, you know, critical thinking, uh, critical thinking and a keen eye. And I mean, the better or not the, the better, but the more I've improved, the more I find myself going, how did they take that shot? Or how even worse is, how can they consistently take those shots? And I mean, mm-hmm. I follow people that I I believe are are doing, you know, amazing work that I can can learn from. I mean, I'm not 
a shy person, I have no problem sending someone a DM being like, Hey, how'd that go down? I mean, some some people are super willing to, to talk on a level of like, Oh yeah, this is how this goes. And you can see the consistency in their work, but you can also see like amazing shot, amazing shot, something they have for lunch. Uh, and you're like, Oh, this, this doesn't fit, you know? And how does, how does this like get fall into your theme? Like, are you just looking for that that sweet dopamine dump of like, yeah, everyone likes this. I did good. Keep it up. Or are you out there being like, <laughs> this is uh, this is what I do now. I drive around. I go to I go to what's popular and what's easy. Uh, and not always. I'm, I'm obviously generalizing, but I mean, yeah, look, you look around and you can go. You know, this is happening here. This is happening here, and there's there's twenty of the same faces that are going to be there. And I mean, I don't know these people. I've never met these people, but I, I've at times have followed enough photographers in Ontario to be like, oh, did you guys carpool? Or like, oh, they got there before the light. Cool. And, and I just think, right. okay, like maybe these aren't the people I'm going to benefit from seeing. I mean, I like to follow people who I connect with, like uh, with yourself. I mean, like yeah. you weren't on my radar and now you are. And I mean, I've binged almost probably like 80% of your episodes and I'm just like, okay, right. okay. And then I was like, oh, portraits, look at those, like whole other account for portraiture. <laughs> I'll go down there. Yeah. That's pretty cool too. And I mean, I, outside of podcasting, I've, you know, we've had some decent conversations that I would have had anyways without this podcast mm. being in the works, which I think is fantastic. Right. And that speaks to so much more. Like what I'm hearing there is like, we would have the same conversation in private or in public. And I think that also, I've mentioned this on the show before, but it's been a while. So I'll remind people, like I started my photography journey and I'm sure you did too, before social media was prevalent. Like when Facebook was just rolling out, I was being, I was awful with a camera. I was learning, I was failing right on my face, taking terrible shots that I thought were good as a way to creatively express myself and to tell my story and my view of the world, um, of how I saw it. And I'm so blessed that I, or I don't like that word. I'm so grateful that, um, <laughs> I was able to discover a creative passionate mind in a day and age where sharing it wasn't a thing, Right. You just got to go out and do it and and learn and look at the the playback button on your camera by yourself and say, wow, that's really cool. Look at how the light's coming through. Look at, you know, this mushroom picture I took. You know, I've always been someone, and I'm sure you can relate to this, who loves to learn. Like, I am addicted to learning. Like, I love constantly asking why, 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 why. And it's that rabbit hole that you've mentioned that term a few times now. It's so fun to go down those things and learn about those things. And we're going to get into some photography stuff because we have a lot to cover. But <laughs> last on this is that I think a lot of people don't want to. Like, I just want to go out and take the shot and learn nothing about snowy owls. I don't know that they migrate. I don't know that they eat lemmings. You know, they just don't care. And I think we have a duty as photographers to get people to try and care and to try and live cohesively with nature and in the right way. You know what I mean? Um, but let's get into some of your photography because we've uh, we've dropped some, I think, good uh, set of values and some principles so far. 
But the one thing you said to me when we were talking, since you mentioned our conversation outside of this, was you said that your wildlife and nature shots are taken on a $650 setup between your camera and lens, which floored me because I am definitely an admirer of your work. I would never have asked you to come on if I didn't think you were a cool person and an inspirational photographer. So I am curious to know... (laughs) A, about your setup. Well, you told me, but I want everybody else to hear what you shoot with because gear really doesn't matter. And I want to put this to bed once and for all, for all these people who ask me, you know, what do you shoot with and how do you, how do you get that photo? That's all great. And I'm fine to share that, but it's really the person clicking the button and it's really being out there, right? It's really being out there and caring about what you're shooting. So I'm curious to hear about your setup and what you think gear actually gets you. Like that money that you put down on that new lens or body what is that getting you in your opinion so share with us um you know first off thanks it's it's always cool to meet uh like-minded people and to say you know you're we're talking you said you know you like your photos and uh this morning i briefly i was like man your your development as a, a podcast host and a host in general it's been uh, like incremental in the past year. And <laughs> I think you had the benefit of listening to all of them I at did. like once. So it's I like know. watching a toddler grow up in fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> in fast forward. Yeah. It's like a, a sitcom where you're like, wow, season four, they got some serious budget. Look at that set. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's, it's great to, to be here. Now, um, I shoot, uh, uh, I shoot Nikon, uh, a D7100 crop body. Uh, which I think was the middle of the road camera in 2012. <laughs> so that's a so while. you're obsolete. That's a while ago in uh, te- technological <laughs> terms. And for, yeah. for a lens, um, I shoot the Sigma 150 to 500. And I know you've mentioned you shoot uh, a 150 to 600, and a lot of people yes, shoot a, a 150 to 600. So I have. Um, the lens before that, that they thought, let's just throw this in the ring, see what happens and, uh, work out the kinks for the next one that made them super popular for a 600 at, you know, right. You had the beta lens, the test. (laughs) Correct. I think it was, uh, uh, 2008 it came out maybe. So, I mean, no kidding. All the, and you bought it used both of them used. Yeah. Both used, uh, both used, um, I mean, they practically live on my car seat. Uh, and, you know, I I took up photography because I live uh, in the Algonquin Highlands and I see so much cool stuff that interests me that I thought I should, I should share this. And then mm-hmm. uh, it came to the point of like, you said, I, I also like learning. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to do right. this, I should do this right. And instead of... Um, taking classes i was like it's you know at this point let's say 2017 ish and i was like youtube maybe some books we'll see what i can come up with uh you know what's aperture (laughs) and then i I just kind of uh a lot of trial and error and, and learning and you know i i went i went about it methodically right i i went from like you know let's just jump into manual shooting and We'll, we'll learn about metering later. We'll learn about, um, um, you know, focus points later. And I mean, I'm working with very outdated technology and 
I mean, when we were chatting, uh, the other thing <laughs> before the podcast, you're just like, okay, we're going to do this on a computer. And I was like, Oh, that, uh, that might be an issue. Uh, I, I just, uh, just got a computer, um, this past Christmas, which at the time of this recording was like three and a half months ago. So not a whole lot of editing going on. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, what you described as when you started shooting before Facebook, that's, that's where I am right now. So I think I got a long way to go, but, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I think, you know, I can scroll through my feed and you can physically see progress. You can be like, Oh, he, that's just it, man. He learned. <laughs> Look at that. And, yeah. uh, it's always, you know, there's times where I'm like, Oh, so-and-so did high key photography. I should probably Google that and, uh, see what I can come up with and, and did. Right. And, uh, I'm lucky to live where there's a lot of wildlife and, uh, you know, I, uh, my career's in, uh, outfitting in Algonquin Park. So, I mean, I'm no stranger to, uh, being off the beaten path, but, uh, I have to lug For around sure. this, this brick with me from, uh, <laughs> from back to the future and, uh, and see what I can capture. Right. And you do a great job of it. Um, Algonquin Park is such a, a beautiful place. I, we were actually talking, right? I was in your, in your area the other day at the Oxtongue uh, River Ragged Falls. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's such a beautiful place. And uh, I'm curious as a follow-up to what your opinion is, what is throwing that thousands of dollars down? What does that get you in your opinion? Uh, I wouldn't know. Um, but I would say, I bet you it brings a lot of peace of mind. I think people, interesting. I think people, like um, confirmation bias in a way. Well, survivorship bias as well. You go, this person shoot with an R5. I should get an R5. And you're like, okay, right. I'm going to continue shooting what I am. And, uh, we're going to have the same images. I mean, there's a lot of people out there shooting high end stuff who, uh, it's funny reels reels has been great for Instagram and for doing deep dives because a lot of people mm -hmm. are going, you know, back at the camera with uh, their phone and then in the distance with their shooting. And I'm looking at someone going, you're shooting a $15,000 setup on, uh, you know, you're, you're still using auto modes and there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, spending thousands of dollars and not seeing the learning progression to me seems silly. I mean, I think upgrading comes <laughs> with, with development. I mean, there's shots that I've missed with modern, more modern stuff. I probably would have got, but I mean, to what end I'm not losing sleep over it. Right. I was there. Right. I saw it. You know who loses out? Everyone who follows me <laughs> or follows you. Right. Right. Unless yeah, yeah, yeah. you're doing it professionally where you're like, I need, you know, uh, some people are very, you know, fair, fair weather photographers. So it's like, ooh, misting, light's not good. I'm not going. The people with the, you know, the heavy weather seal, the 600 mils, are like, this is going to be awesome. Let's go. And they don't have a yeah. second thought about it. And I mean, for sure, the the peace of mind is just the maybe it's going to take me to the next level. And yeah, that's that that problem with uh, with social media that. Uh, positivity that cheering squad like you said people like my stuff now imagine if i had a better camera that's like uh yeah they're still gonna like your stuff 
you know, try some film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to like that too. (laughs) For sure. And I mean, if it's working for you with what you got, continue doing more of what's working. I mean, that's something I try to institute all the time. Do less of what's not working and do more of what is. If, If I'm having fun and I'm proud of my images and I'm seeing growth, if that's part of one of my goals online, why change it? You know, I think... Uh, the other interesting thing is you mentioned, you know, pe- people with a $15,000 setup and they're still shooting in auto modes. To me, that's like buying a Ferrari and not knowing how to drive manual. It's just absurd. Like you don't have the foundational learning blocks to, to even need that at that point. Um, but I think a lot of people have been duped into oh, yeah. great marketing in the sense of, uh, is it, I guess it's a good thing right now that I'm not sponsored by any camera companies. <laughs> I hope they don't hear this they're, episode they're if I come, ever have the chance to be. They're going to come knocking. They're going to come for me. They're going to come knocking after this guy. <laughs> yeah, they would come knocking. Um, but uh, I also think that there's comfort in spending a lot of money on good gear because if you're someone who maybe is not so confident in your shooting and editing abilities – you're thinking, oh, thank God. I just bought the new R5. It's all uphill from here, right? As opposed to like putting in the work to learn and do techniques. And it reminds me, a similar kind of idea, that comfort as, you know, maybe this is a bit subjective. What exists in the financial industry is that, you know, there's a saying that people, uh, people drive Rolls Royces into New York city to pay, to give their money to a financial advisor who takes the subway to work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, sure. you feel more, it's almost like the, the camera, the expensive camera is a, is a hand, it's a comfort. It's a comfort tool. It's a comfort blanket. A safety blanket would be a good term. And I'm not saying, obviously, you know, there's some great features, more megapixels on certain cameras, um, better firmware on newer lenses. Um, yeah, of course. But I think you really have to do a cost reward analysis as somebody who loves numbers and who loves really like, you know, diving into that stuff. I think you really need to see where you're getting the most value for what you're trying to do. And I've, I've said this before. It's like when, when you hit your, your, your limit with gear is when it's physically enabling you to do something that would, that would make you a better photographer. For example, um, my Canon 6D is 22 megapixel and to be an ethical wildlife photographer, obviously we need to be a certain distance away, which that doesn't allow me to crop in and retain resolution. So that to me is an example of, Hey, maybe down the road, consider getting a camera with more megapixels. It's not more megapixels is going to make me so much better. You know, it's a very different thought process. I mean, I have like a four shot buffer, <laughs> like in continuous high, <laughs> I can shoot four and then it starts buffering and I'll be like, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> this is magical for my memories. Um, I mean, new gear. Right. That's important too though, man. Oh, for sure. Sorry to interrupt you, but just the, just the thing you said about, ah, it, it's not on my SD card, but it's in my brain forever. So important for people to hear because that's why you're out and i don't know if you heard the otter episode i i had a, it was when i yeah no i have a yeah. an otter story for you based on that episode really i want to hear it but it was once i was like you know what i'm out here to have fun and be in nature that they showed up for me and i don't think that's an accident but what's your otter story well i uh last week 
last week early because it's still ice on the lakes i uh uh-huh. taken a little a, a side trip and i went uh spot i usually go not far from my house and i went holy that stump is moving so i went oh so i stopped pull over <laughs> and it's a it's a beaver to the point of like i pull out zoom to 500 to confirm it's a beaver and then i'm like okay there's a little spot in the ice and i'm looking and I'm like, oh there's another beaver and i'm like oh there's another beaver so i got three beavers lined up and they're like 100 yards away i'm not getting any shots and i turn and, and this pond's about the size of a football field. And then in the far mm. other corner, there's two otters. And I thought, Seth toiled to get the, he walked forever in a day. <laughs> and I'm sitting here on three beavers and two otters. And I'm like, that one's eating fish. I mean. What? That's just how it goes, I'm man. Like, what a scene. And I, and I took zero photos. Um, I mean. A part of my soul died. <laughs> just there <laughs> i was just like i should i should facetime him and be like look at but uh i mean that's just that bad. might do more harm than good <laughs> no it's a motivational factor <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so it's it's i mean zero pictures taken five animals in the size of a football field and you know what that's cool i'm never gonna see that again and neither are you right and what a day yeah and what a story to share yeah. right exactly exactly um, getting back to, I guess you mentioned how your, your computer, I guess was questionable even for this podcast and you edit on mobile. I've had a, a lot of guests on this show. Um, some big names, air quotes, uh, on social media who even edit mobile and who are well-respected landscape and wildlife photographers. No, well, there's no I, right or wrong way to do things. Yeah. I was, I, uh, I get I get the images onto my phone, do a little tweak, and away we go. Um, with the computer, Perfect. I thought, what's... I looked at Lightroom and I thought, this seems like a really steep learning curve for, you know, I'm on the path of shooting and posting stuff that's pretty much straight out of camera. I mean, there's no real uh-huh. healing happening. So I thought, what can I get the most out of? And uh, I had someone that I had a conversation about editing with is like here and ended up getting uh, the Topaz labs on the computer um, around Christmas. So I've been tweaking, playing with that a little bit, but I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. It hasn't shown yet, but I don't know what I'm doing. So uh, it's a fun, <laughs> it's a fun little exercise, but uh, yeah, up until recently I haven't gotten heavy into editing. Uh, I still haven't, but I mean, I'm making more of an effort. I mean, it is super, Interesting. super useful. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, that's a point that I had written down. And you, before we even started recording, you had some sort of like telepathic communication with me saying you knew I was going to want to talk about this. And that was, should and how far should wildlife photography be edited? I know a lot of publications like Nat Geo and stuff like that, minimal retouching to even be considered published because... The idea is to stay true to that nature, that animals and that environment's colors, yeah, natural shadows, because they care about sharing the world as it is. And, and so I'm curious world. to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. yeah. Where the line is, like how far can you take it before you're like, whoa, 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 you're doing a disservice. Right. And I mean, uh, we talked about transparency and uh, you see animals that are like, how is that staring directly at you and you're having no impact on it? Or like, are you editing bird seed out? 
Uh, it's super interesting. Um, I think it very much so depends on your target audience and and how you feel. Um, you know, I, I see some people who are like taking very nice photos, great composition. And in my opinion, definitely not theirs. I'm like, oh, are these like really close to Chernobyl? Because they're glowing. And those colors <laughs> don't exist in nature. And like if birds were glowing like that, they wouldn't exist. Everything would eat them. They can't hide. So I mean <laughs> um, not not to be rude because there's some really cool images, but I mean wildlife photography and digital art are kind of merging and mm-hmm. I think there's blurred lines because people flip flop and it's the same with like people make composites all the time uh, with wildlife. And you're like, Oh, that mountain range wasn't there. Or, you know, how far can you go? Can you be like, that's too far for me. What about uh, like off camera flashes? I mean, you're catching an animal that's potentially nocturnal, maybe with a camera trap, you got off camera flashes cause they're walking into it. I mean, that's not natural. <laughs> It is, but it isn't. Right. I think if you're camera trapping, and I I know a couple people who do, who are very transparent about saying, hey, you know, this shot of a mountain lion, I'm obviously not 20 feet from it. Yeah, I mean that. Um, Yeah. Uh, It's a poor example. It's interesting, (laughs) right? No, I I know what you're saying, though. It's just, I don't, there's a lot of people who would say if your finger didn't touch the shutter, it's not a real photograph. What about uh, removing birds on a birds on a perch i mean removing twigs i guess i guess this it becomes entirely subjective and here here's really the criteria for me okay is your editing your removal of things your 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 addition of elements or color or whatever are you are you doing your subject disservice or are you are you serving it well right? right and i think you're very, it's a very easy question. You know, people might be listening and going, oh, well, that sounds hard to do. It's no, you finish your edit. If you're someone who likes to edit, you sit back and you go, have I manipulated this too far? Is, you know, does this, is this close to what this bird's feathers look like in real life? You know, is the sky what's making this picture? If you're sky replacing or something. Right. And does this photo make the viewer want to learn more about that animal. I think that's always on my mind as well is making sure that the picture is edited just enough that it's visually satisfying that people want to go a little further. Okay. If that makes sense. I, I know we're you know, not changing. He, right. Yeah. I know we're, we're crunched for time here, but I have a really quick question on that note. Um, what about in the bird world, not changing colors, but to, uh, you have like, I don't know, let's say 37 different species that all seem to land on the same thistle. Uh, you know, people with outrageous with their outrageous to get them like, I've got the setup. It's a thistle because it's in bloom. My feeder's underneath it, which you can't see. They're edited normally, but you've manipulated that bird. And I mean, a lot of people do it, and a lot of people are smart enough to to space out the thistle posts on their feed, you know, every eighth photo. So you don't get wise. Uh, maybe I pay too much attention too much. Not maybe you have a great eye for detail. And again, I will relate back to 
you know, are you doing the animal service? Are you like providing facts about it? Are you saying I love having these bird visitors in my in my garden or above my feeder? It go, we're we're really circling around transparency. We really and are. Transparency is so important to me because for the people who are naive, viewers who don't understand and who may be inspired by that image, they need to know how to go and perform that practice or that art form correctly and responsibly. That's really it for me. I mean, you know, that's why I, Oh, that's why I make sure like in my captions, it's, you know, shot on 600 millimeters, you know, like I am not up in this bird's grill. I'm very far and likely cropped in, you know? Right. And I mean, what you're, what you're saying is, uh, is information versus news. I mean, information is here's this bird. It's on its migratory path. Uh, it's, you know, it's flying north. I shot at 600 mil. That's information. News is, check out this awesome bird. Look at how blue it is. Yeah. That's just, news is meant to grab your attention. Information, you got to search for, or you find it from transparent sources that you trust. And I mean, that's your your followers. Your followers obviously have a trust in you and follow you because of those reasons. It can't all just because be because pretty pictures. I mean, some of it is, but not all of it. And I mean, you want to uh, give enough information that people are comfortable and want to support what you're doing. And that's, that's why you do it, right? That and yeah. internet fame. Those are the two main things to do anything. <laughs> Bird, clout. Bird clout. No, but Colin, I just, I just um, got super um, energetic and enthused there because you sparked an idea in my head. Um as a way to improve the Instagram, you gave, you gave me an idea and I was writing it down as you were talking and, and here it is. Wouldn't it be cool if you could have some sort of third party that worked cohesively with Instagram for photographers, specifically nature and wildlife photographers, where you could earn similar to a blue check mark, a green check mark, which certifies this photographer as an ethical shooter? I mean, the fall from grace. How you would go about certifying that would be difficult. The fall from grace. But could grace you imagine if it was airtight? Wrong. Yeah. So you better not. Okay. Is the idea right? I mean, well, picture pro athletes, right? Picture politicians. They're they're put up to a standard. Why should not the air quote people who consider themselves professionals have the same thing in the day and age of instant? I don't know. So the thought I had, it would be if I saw a photographer with a green check mark that certified them as an ethical wildlife photographer, and I knew that the protocol or the um, the ability to get that was very difficult, and the program was exceptional, I would think that was a very cool feature. Oh, Maybe uh, I'm pumping my own tires with my idea here. It could be a terrible idea, but that's no, something think, that I wrote down as you as you said it. <laughs> I think I think what you're doing is you're you're trying to find. Uh, you're looking for a check mark to find like-minded people and people to either look up to. Yes. And, and I think maybe that. I mean, that's so much harder to find naturally. And I mean, you're definitely onto something like let's gas up the van. We'll head out tomorrow morning. Uh, you know, we'll go pitch that around. But uh <laughs> what you, what you're really looking for is uh people that you want to follow and you want to follow you that you want to have these conversations with. And I think that would that would make it easier because there's nothing 
it's not don't meet your heroes, but there's nothing worse than really, really digging someone's work. And then maybe you meet them, maybe you shoot with them, maybe you shoot with someone who knows them. And you're just like, this is not how I saw this going. And you're like, they are not what I thought. And, you know, um, I, I use, I went for a hike with a, a local professional, a uh, great guy, shoots landscapes, teaches. And uh, after about three hours, we, we came to the conclusion that um, there's a lot of people with cameras and there's some photographers. And I think that's super mm. important because you're holding some people to standards that they don't even know exist. And I mean, they're probably not the audience that you currently have or I hope to have or that me and you would find ourselves in. I mean, I'm a hobbyist, very much so, but I still hold myself to a, a certain standard. And I mean, a lot of people are like, cameras are cheap. This is awesome. I love social media. Let's go do some stuff. Uh, and I think that green check right. mark you're talking about really would uh, segregate to the, uh, the camera owners from the photographer. And I think a lot of times we don't do right. that. What's your criteria for for the different the difference between the two? Uh, do I get to see a picture of what you have for lunch? That's my that's my criteria. Did you get new? <laughs> I can't stand that. If you got new, do Jordan, people still do that? I don't. I don't need to know if you got new Jordans or if you had avocado toast. Uh, I do need to know if, um, you know what you you put in that hundred k to get that otter uh, eating a fish. Right. I don't have an otter eating a fish. Now I'm going to be like, Seth, right. take me to the otters. I want to see them eat fish. You're my guy because you did it this week. Right. And, I, and that's, not, right. that's not fair to you. But I mean. Oh, I'm down. Yeah. Down in an instant. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. Next time you make it to Ragged Falls, just be like, I should probably reach out first. And uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe, I had no clue. Maybe you'll get a. I don't want to say a hint. I'm not, I'm not a big, I said it off, off air. I think is, uh, I'm very good at telling you where stuff was yesterday because, uh, I sure haven't. <laughs> but you know what? If it was there yesterday, it'll be there again. I That's love, what I try to tell myself. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I get a lot of messages cause obviously I, where I work and, and where I live and where I shoot and people are just like, what'd you see in the past week? And I was like, you know animals are transient, right? <laughs> like, those birds have wings. They're not going to be where I tell you, nor am I going to tell you. Um, I know, you know, a good ear to the ground and information is very easily sourced and a little research, I think you can put yourself in a good position to capture awesome images. And I don't think people really understand uh, that, like, Seth had to bang out 100K on snowshoes to get otters when other people are like, I can't see them from my car and I can't just go shoot them. I got a long lens. Uh, and I think that's the, right. that's the divide in the people. So I think uh, like everything that we've talked about, that's right. super subjective. It's also what you're willing to do to get images that really does also set you apart, which is uh, for good or for ill, I guess. Right. And not even just the physical distance. I wanted to add something to that. It's the amount of, pages read words read too on otter behavior tendencies how much from i think people forget we're so lucky to live in it and i think this just goes back to like how technological advancements get normalized very quickly within our lives 
how lucky we are to pull out this little tiny device made of few elements and and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Type a, a couple lines into Google and you can get information on anything in the world from credible sources. How like how, I don't know how every day I'm blown away by that 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 is just even a thing and I think for people to say oh like the otters is is too hard or whatever you know I don't want to sound like a dick here it really it was hard in the sense of waiting so long do you want to know right it, and not getting discouraged and I bet I know what it was like hiking to find otters or any wildlife any sort of distance any sort of time is like driving with the radio off because it's just you yes you are going which I love uh, oh it's fantastic it's Am I going to get otters? I might not get otters. And then you're going, you know, I don't know if Steamboat Willie's chugging away in there or what's going on, but you're like, <laughs> maybe I'll get them. But uh, it blows my mind because you touched on it with other people and they're like, I visualize the shot I want. And I hear that so much. And you talk about the importance of mm-hmm. it. And I'm just like, animals are wild. If I could get them to pose, I would be on a different level. <laughs> I am so opportunistic. I have in my mind of that would look cool, but it's probably not going to happen. So let's, you know, let's make hay in the sunshine. You got something in that viewfinder, make it work with, with the elements that you have. And I mean, some people can visualize what they want and go and get it. And it may take God knows how long, but um, maybe I'm too realistic. I'm just like, God, I hope I see something today. And if I do, I want to make the best of it. And when I when it's happening, I'm like, okay, you know, I've gone through this scenario. I know a bull moose. I want him reaching for that for that leaf when he goes to eat. That's my shot. Am I going to pass up other cool shots? Probably. But that's what I want. I mean, you right. touched on it before. Um, not to to step on your toes, but you talked about photo harvesting. And I mean, yes, yeah. I want a moose with full rack, reaching up, maybe tongue out to grab something. But I'm 100% going to take 300 shots the previous 15 minutes if I get it. And I mean, I have, uh, I have a shot. I, I make a list, and it's of what I want to shoot or hope to shoot. And it is so incredibly vague that it's not easy to obtain you know mother with two calves i got it Mm -hmm. but i mean if you scroll into my feed it's like this is at 400 bills and they're i can't even get all three of them in frame because there's so many trees it's so thick but i got it you know algonquin wolf my i got a couple but my best ones in the middle of a road no one's envisioning an animal crossing the road as they're they're shot but the opportunity is there you're not not going to take it right? Because you don't know when you're going to get another one. And uh, it's just uh, that visualization is key. But I think it's, it's pouncing on opportunity. That's really the, the best way to go about things and taking those learned skills of like, I I mean, I don't want to say just F8 and pray, but uh, being there, Mm. being there is the hardest part. Setting yourself up to win is really what it is. Correct. 
I mean, there's an old it's, saying, you can go ahead. Google it, and it's actually like, what does it take to be a professional photographer? And they say it's like F8 and B in there. And if you Google that phrase, it, it comes <laughs> it comes from the old days of uh, like crime scenes after like the mobsters. And they're like, well, how do you make become a professional? Just be there, shoot as quick as you can, and get away before you know the cops show up. But I mean, what a great yeah, simplifying. What a great motto. Just be there and F eight. The rest will work. I've never out. heard that. Uh, yeah, apparently and it's so around. true. Yeah, it's so true. Like right now, I'm I'm trying to get. Um, I, I know of where a fox uh, mother and and her kids will probably be um, emerging from the den, and my visualization is not like I'm not visualizing the animal at all. If this makes sense, I'm visualizing where do I need to position myself to photograph these animals the way that I want the end result to be and what I want that story to tell. And I'm never visualizing the scene, if that makes sense, because I don't want to set unrealistic expectations. Like the otters was just a gift that they were fishing for hibernating turtles, frogs, fish, like it's just one of those moments where the Red Sea parts and you're there to walk through. Um, and that just comes down to, like you said, showing up. And I say it all the time, just show up. I mean, you're not, I see so many people, why am I not getting, or hear from so many people, why am I not getting these kinds of shots? It's like, well, can you tell me how many hours you're outside? I'm a bad person. And the, the answer that. is, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I don't think so because you're very excellent from, from our conversations at picking your moments and by the sounds of it, you've had a lot of moments that you haven't documented. Like I, I talked to a guy who traveled to Norway or on, on, on one of the previous episodes or it was somewhere crazy and he didn't even bring a camera. Oh, I've, like, I've mad respect. I've backpacked uh, 23 countries with no camera. Right. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> It's a hindsight in retrospect. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's awesome per se, but it, there's a there's a level of, at least from me, respect to be able to go do that and not feel the urge to document it. I guess is what I'm saying. Or even if you do have the urge, just still accepting that you didn't. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Is managing expectations, and I think that management is a is a personal thing because you. Like you said, you're getting messages of why can't I get this? Why can't I get that? And right. they're going out and getting this. They're, I've I've seen two owls in my life, and people are like, "Oh, I got like an owl a day on my walk," and like my expectation is not to see one, um, because I'm I'm not putting myself in that position. But I mean, so many people who go, why can't I do this? Because so and so can, and so and so can, and so and so can. It's well, their expectations, their time spent, their investment, their research is all different than yours. If you manage expectations, mm-hmm. uh, namely your own, and be realistic with yourself, I mean, you're going to be much happier. You're going to have a better fine-tuned end you product. Have set, you have set our finale up gloriously. You know why? Because I was going to say that everything we're talking about the one I'm I I don't know if I'm a quote guy, but I like to take ex- excerpts from things I've heard and apply in my own life. And literally, as you're saying this, I'm just gonna say happiness is expectations 
minus reality. So if your expectations aren't through the roof and you're just left with more reality, your desired outcome and and happiness with your achievement is going to be so much greater. I can't argue with that. We don't have time, (laughs) but I wouldn't anyways. That's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. Dude, Colin, this was so much fun. Um, I'm really glad you you came on and uh, your computer made it through the gauntlet here. Yeah, I mean, thanks so much for having me. I think it uh, it's going to give me so much street credit that I, I did the photographer <laughs> mindset. And it's just like, you know what? I had a great time. <laughs> I would uh, give it like late, mid-fall. And I want to I come back on, but I want to do the opposite. I'm going to send you an email and be like, okay, you're now, we're flipping the script. You're on the <laughs> other end. I'm going to ask you questions. <laughs> They're all going to be about photography podcasting and uh your next big goal it's gonna be awesome right on i'm looking forward to it colin thanks again man no problem thanks again as always everyone for tuning into another episode of the photographer mindset podcast grateful to have all you listening who have been around since day one and who are maybe fresh to the show really stoked to see this keep growing and for more people to start implementing the proper mindset to maximize their creative output Until next time, everyone, go get shooting, go get editing, and stay focused. See you then.